Welcome to the Refuge Church Podcast, where we long to see the lost saved, the saved transformed, and the transformed sent. For more information on Refuge Church, or to learn how you can give to this ministry, visit refugejacks.church. morning. Happy New Year. My name is Paul. I'm one of the elders here, and it's a joy to be with you this morning and to open up the Word and, um, and look at what Jesus has for us to say this morning. So I'm, I'm hoping you've had a good New Year's weekend so far. And so my task uh, this morning, given by Josh, Pastor Josh, was to preach on the gospel. And so it's a really good way to start the new year is to look at uh, God's word and look at the gospel and be reminded of it again. Um, So before we do that, let's pray. Let's pray for God's blessing on this time and for his help. Father, thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that we get to think about and look at again in your word, to sing about as we already have to then leave this place renewed and refreshed with a new sense of what you've done for us in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And so we pray that that would be what we experience today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in uh, Colossians 2, 6 through 15. So if you have your Bibles, find Colossians 2. 6 to 15, if you're using one of the uh, pew Bibles in front of you, it's on page 924, 924. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that with you as a gift from our church to you. Uh, And so we'd love for that. Colossians 2, 6 to 15. Before we get into it and, re- and read that, um, as a kid, I, I used to be amazed with illusionists. People like David Copperfield. Anybody remember David Copperfield? Uh, more recently, David Blaine. Doing just kind of crazy stuff. Uh, David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty disappear, apparently. Uh, David Blaine, uh, on the streets, would go up to people and he'd be literally, seemingly, levitating on the sidewalk. I, don't, I have no idea how this was happening. But my, my mind was boggled by it because it just looked so real. It seems so, so uh, amazingly true. Uh, one such illusion was when David Copperfield imploded a building on himself. You might remember this. The, the Hotel Charlotte in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, was a 13-story, 250-room, old historic hotel built in the early 20th century and, and hosted people like Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Babe Ruth and all kinds of people. And over time, it got dilapidated and, and vandalized and was just kind of um, wasting away. And so there was a deal made in order to bring it down, to implode it. And not only that, uh, but a deal was made to implode it on live TV with David Copperfield. And so David Copperfield is, is locked up, in, apparently, in a safe 
inside this building. So he's showing the TV uh, audience, here I am, I'm being handcuffed by, uh, by two armed guards, and I'm getting into this safe, and it's locked and chained, and they hit the button for the detonator, and everybody is scurrying away and, and getting out of the building before it implodes, and he has two and a half minutes to get out. And so you have the camera on the, uh, the safe to make sure he's, he's not pulling any tricks on you. And sure enough, two and a half minutes later, the building literally, actually comes down. David Copperfield is inside. You're wondering, your heart's racing as a viewer, did he make it? And then Copperfield, of course, emerges, emerges gloriously from the stage and, and has done it. Just a little dirty, but still alive. Well, here's what really happened. The safe that Copperfield got in had a back door. The camera goes off that safe for a few seconds. He goes, he exits the back door, is escorted all the way outside the building, up to the stage and climbs underneath before the building even comes down. And he was actually outed by one of the, uh, one of the production people that was uh, a volunteer online. He was outed uh, and told the story of how he actually did it. And apparently those people actually, this person actually lost respect for Copperfield because he actually was surprised that he didn't implode a building on himself. So the funny thing about us is in that watching magicians like Copperfield or David Blaine or whoever, we know on some level there is trickery going on, right? But on another level, we have the twisted ability to be deceived. We go to bed that night thinking somehow, some way, Copperfield actually did escape a locked safe in a multi-story building only to have two minutes and 30 seconds to do it. On a much more important level, our hearts and minds have the twisted ability to be deceived about God, about who he is, about what he wants, what he cares about, what he sent us to do. And and specifically, we are easily deceived about what the gospel is and what it means. We come now to Colossians 2, 6 to 15. It says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ." having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Amen. If you're taking notes today, the the main idea of this text is this. 
I'll give you the main idea and then my main two points coming from the text. The main idea is this. You have Jesus Christ, so bank every part of your existence on him. You have Jesus Christ, so bank every part of your existence on him. And point number one, live with faith in Jesus. That's going to be verses six and seven. Live with faith in Jesus. And point number two, don't, or by faith, don't be deceived. By faith, don't be deceived. That's verses eight through 15. And so point number one, live with faith in Jesus. Up to this point, to give you a little context of Paul's letter, up to this point, Paul has expressed his thankfulness for the believers that, that they have come to faith. These believers in a town called Colossae. They've received the gospel and they're bearing fruit in verses 3 through 6 of chapter 1. Uh, the gospel or good news was brought to them by Epaphras from Paul, a fellow worker for the gospel with Paul. And he is described as a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And in typical Apostle Paul fashion, he's been praying for their life and faith. He's been praying for them to grow in the gospel. He asks that they will be filled with the knowledge of God and what God wants for them so that they will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So what activity is fueling this life? Well, it's God's activity in these believers. So God, in uh, verses 12 and 13 of chapter 1, God has, has qualified them for an inheritance. He's delivered them from a kingdom of darkness, and he's transferred them to Christ's kingdom, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so when Paul talks about the Christian life, he doesn't stray far from the gospel at all. Any hope of living the Christian life faithfully and successfully always comes back to what you and I believe about Jesus and the good news about him. Look at chapter 1, just a page back, verses 21 to 23. Paul says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and to which I, Paul, became a minister. The truth of the gospel, that we were alienated from God because of our sin, but Christ in his death and, uh, death and resurrection reconciled us back to God, that truth is only true of you if you continue steadfast in the faith. Paul's work then for these believers was a great struggle for their faith. He struggles with all his energy that he powerfully, that God powerfully works within him. His great struggle for them is to protect them from delusion. And so this brings us to our text. Paul begins this section with, therefore. And so that's a, that's a, there should be a flag should go up in your mind when you see the word therefore. There's, there's something happening. There's a shift in his argument. There's a shift in the text. So everything he's been saying up to this point now has some implications for your life and for my life. He is saying that based on what I've been telling you so far, 
And based on the fact that you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, now walk in him. This word walk can can carry the idea in the New Testament of of physically walking with your feet. But in Paul, it, it carries more of a metaphorical meaning. He's not talking about physically walking in Christ. It's a, it's a word picture. It's a metaphor. He's not communicating uh, walking with your feet, but living a life that is rounded out by the truth about Jesus, a life that is distinguished by a walk and talk and action that follow Jesus. But, but based on what, right? So therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. What's it based on? Well, it's based on the truth that they have received. These believers in Colossae, received this faith through the message and the witness of Epaphras. They received the truth about Jesus, that all have sinned, and Jesus came to take punishment of God for us, for our sin, to die and to rise again. And this wasn't and isn't just a personal reception of faith only. What I mean by that is it's, you're not just ascribing to yourself your own interpretation of the faith. The, the faith passed down once for all the saints is not interpreted individually. It's a, it's a protected, solid, objective, defined gospel. And so it must be that way for us too. If we're going to live as a church with faith in Jesus, we have to know what this faith is. That's the gospel. So in our current context, it's way too easy for us to be unclear about the gospel, Right? Our world at, at times thinks it's more acceptable to be ambivalent about a thing than it is to be definite about a thing, at least when it comes to, to things about God, right? Saints in history have been careful to guard and protect this faith over history for you and me. And so how do we protect that here? Well, there's, there's all kinds of practical ways we protect the gospel here in our church, Right? One is a a clear statement of faith of saying, here's what we believe, right? You can go find that online. A clear, historic Christian statement of faith to say, this is what we hold to as a church. Another way is is church membership, meaningful church membership. That isn't just about attending, but it's about you reflecting the kingdom of God, a, a, a group of people that's defined that reflects God's people. As a plug for church membership class, that's going to be next week, I think at 4 p.m., right? So if, if you're looking to become a member of this church, come to that class. It's a way we're protecting the gospel over time. But more still, week to week, the songs that we sing that Stephen and the band lead us in are gospel-centered. And the preaching that whoever is preaching here week in and week out is gospel-centered. It's a way that we're protecting the faith, that we've received. And it's a way then as a church, we live by faith in Jesus. We walk in him. This is what this means. So Paul is saying that as you've received the gospel, now walk in him, live with a faith that is in Jesus alone. This faith he, he uh, describes by using some, some specific imagery. He, he describes it as rooted, rooted like a massive oak tree. Ever, anybody been down to Tree Oak downtown on the South Bank? You know what it is. You've probably seen it. It's this about 250-year-old massive southern oak tree that's apparently had treaties made under it. I don't think I think that's actually untrue, but sorry to burst your bubble. Um, but this massive tree, that's what Paul is saying your faith needs to look like. It's, it's a tree, an oak tree that's pushing its roots down into the soil because it knows where it finds its life. 
It's stable and it's steadfast. And when a storm comes, it doesn't, it doesn't just move away. It doesn't just get ripped away. It's, it's been there. It's a faith that's sure. One from where it knows it gets its life. It's reminiscent of, of John 15 where Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. What Jesus is saying is, is I am the source of your life. And if, if you are not connected to me, you will not get life. That's what Jesus means. I am the vine, you are the branches. Same idea, right? I don't know about you. Do you feel like a mighty, massive oak tree in your faith? Maybe not. Maybe you're a tired mom with young kids at home. You don't feel like your work is seen. You're, you're not resting. You're not able to do the things that you want to do. It's difficult to be thankful. Or maybe you're just, just weary at your job. You know, successes have been few and far between for you and money is tight and you don't feel respected. Being a Christian in your workplace is a lot harder than you thought it would be. So you've, you've kind of softened your faith and now you're discouraged. You're no longer vibrant. Maybe you're strugg- struggling to find community. Maybe you're even struggling to find community here at Refuge. Maybe you're discouraged because you want to be married and you're not. Or you feel like you've just sinned way too much to be loved by God anymore. If that's you at all, life is waiting for you in Jesus. Walking in him is, walking in him is not a call to tighten up and buckle down and live the Christian life in a better way than you ever have before. That's not what that is. No, it's a call to live with faith in him in the middle of your discouragements, in the middle of your weariness, in the middle of your sin. In reality, it's a call to freedom, not slavery. So Paul, add then, Paul adds then another word picture here. He, he says your faith should be rooted down and it then should be built up in him. So this, this picture is of a building built with a strong and sure foundation and we find this in Jesus' teaching about himself. He calls himself the rock on which you should build your house. We don't, uh, it's not foreign to Paul either. In 1 Corinthians 3, he said it's, Christ is the foundation of our faith. And so as the building goes up, it depends on the solidity of its foundation, right? The last couple of years have been really, really rough for Mel and me. We've gone through things that we would not have written. Uh, we've uh, looked back and just kind of shaked our heads of like, how did that happen? How did we get here? But without this foundation, we would be hopeless. But we're still here, and you're still here. Undoubtedly, you have been through all kinds of stuff untold. I know because I know some of you. But you're still here. The foundation on which you build your faith must be Jesus and Jesus alone. Some of you have experienced great losses in 2021. Loss of family, loss of friends. Maybe you've lost respect in your workplace. Maybe a loss of identity in what you should be doing. Look back at your faith in Jesus Christ. Others of you have given in temptation. The, the world's strain on your mind and your soul have just been too much, and you gave in, and now you're living in immense guilt. 
Look back. Look back to Jesus and your faith in him. What it actually means to live your Christian life in a way that is pleasing to God is to base it on the gospel you heard from the beginning. And this is not without drudgery. Paul says it here. Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This is not a sad existence. Our our lives of faith should have the tone of his praises. Our thankfulness should be overflowing. Let me encourage you as one of your elders here to express that when we sing together as a church. Sing like you've been saved from hell. Every week, week in, week out. Sing like you've been saved from hell. Have you ever stopped and thought and been struck by the idea that God saved you? Or rather, have you, if you're not a Christian, have you ever wondered why Christians are so joyful? Or rather, if you're not a Christian, have you ever wondered and been puzzled by why Christians are so unthankful? Walking in Christ, living a life of faith has a sound of thanksgiving because of what we've come from. We've come from darkness to light. We've come from slavery to freedom, and we've come from death to life. Praise the Lord. Live, church, with faith in Jesus. That's how you walk in him. Point number two. So we're living with faith in Jesus. So then number two, it's by faith, don't be deceived. By faith, don't be deceived. Deceive. Look at verse 8. See to it, he says, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Pause there. There was a problem in this church. On some level, these Christians were at risk of straying from the gospel that they have received and believing something totally wrong. When Paul writes a letter to the church, there's always a context into which he is writing. So in Colossae, that context included some sort of heresy. Don't know really what this is exactly. Some people think it's syncretism of taking the gospel and mixing it with other religions. Some, some people think it's Judaism itself. For our purposes here, what we need to know is that it was raising itself up against the clear gospel of Jesus Christ that was first delivered to them. It's debated what it is, but it's clear that it was dangerous and not according to Christ. And this is why he wants this church, and so this is why he also wants our church to be knit together and to reach the full understanding of God's mystery so that no one may delude them with plausible arguments. In our text today, the problem is highlighted. Paul puts it in terms of a command. He says, see to it. Make sure this happens. Don't be deceived. He's warning us not to be taken prisoner by teaching that is speculative about reality and questioning truth. N.T. Wright, a scholar, theologian, points out that this word philosophy means love of wisdom and is like a facade of a grand house which remains standing when the insides have been demolished. It promises much and gives nothing. I wonder what things our lives are in our lives are promising much but giving nothing. Political parties that offer all the answers to everything. I won't get into that. A relationship that is the center of your well, no, I will get into that. We have more in common as a Christian than you do as a Republican or a Democrat. That supersedes your political party. There's other things that uh, could 
could be like this, a relationship that is the center of your world, a new way of thinking about Jesus that we just didn't see in the past couple of years, or is that kind of stuff that is promising much but giving nothing to you? Oh, friend, brothers and sisters, don't live your life according to the Christian self-help section in the Christian bookstore. Titles on titles that promise this or that of next-level spirituality that gets you to where you need to be as a Christian. Don't do that. This anti-gospel Paul is talking about is full of human tradition, and Jesus attacks this in Mark 7, 1 to 8. Let's turn over there and see this. So Mark 7, 1 to 8. You can turn there if you want, or just listen. It says this. The Pharisees were gathering to him, and, and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, according to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy to you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. Jesus doesn't hold back there. He's going right for the heart of what it means to be a Christian. Oh, friends, our hearts are bent on making our own way to salvation. We are hardwired to believe that what we do actually saves us. We think God is more pleased with us the more we pile up more and more of our morality. We think of our lives as a scale. The good really outweighs the bad in the end. So as long as the good outweighs the bad in the end, I'll be okay. We offer our good deeds as our argument to the heavenly jury of why we should be exonerated and let free. We do that every day. What kind of things are you adding like the Pharisees in Mark 7? Anything that is Christ plus something only brings captivity. It's like, it's like a freed man who was given his freedom out of prison, but then goes and takes the key from the guard and locks himself back up in prison over and over and over and over and over again. That's what it is to live as a moralist. You're locking yourself up outside of Christ. The elemental spirits here could, could mean a few different things. It, it means... Could mean the basic ideas of a subject. It could be the foundational elements of the earth or even local deities that reigned over the nations. Regardless what Paul means here, Paul was attacking something that was conflicting with the gospel. And all this philosophy and empty deceit is not according to Christ. These things are opposed to Christ. And they're not just opposed to Christ. They take you captive like a prisoner, right? So, Take moments to thumb through the facets of your daily life. Is the weight of it a walk that depends on a clear idea of Christ from the Bible? Or are you making him up? Are you making up a different sort of Jesus? 
Christ is the rubric. Christ is the standard. Christ is the defining factor for the Christian life. If you're here and you take, you're uh, in school and you take tests, Christ is the study guide, the answer bake, and the master answer key. There are only two categories, Christ and everything else. There's only two. And look back, look at the grounds on which Paul is, is basing this, starting in verse 9. He says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Here's an incredibly important theological statement. In Christ, everything that God, that makes God, God is fully in Christ because God, because Jesus is God. So not only that, but deity dwells in Christ bodily. Jesus is not somewhere as sort of an ethereal mist, right? He's He's ruling and reigning bodily. As a former pastor of mine said, somewhere in the universe, Jesus rules and reigns on a real throne with real fingernails and real hair. He rose bodily for us. He's objective and sure. And he goes on in verse 10. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. This word filled here is the idea of being made complete. The only other two instances in the New Testament are both Paul and it's uh, in Romans and Philippians, both of which uh, are a feeling of a subjective idea, sub, uh, being filled with goodness or being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Here in our text, the, the filling or being made complete is with God himself. If you are a believer, you are in Christ. Christ is in you and he rules over all. It being in Christ, when, when Paul says, in him, this or that, or with him, this or that. He's going right to the center of his theology about Christ or his Christology. Nine times in this passage does Paul use the word, the phrase, in him or with him. There's something going on there about our Christian life. We're in Christ by faith. So if you're a believer, you're in Christ. Christ is in you, and he rules over all. No other human authority can touch that. God is in Christ. Christ is in you. And he is ruling and reigning bodily right now. So if you're a believer, everything in your life is ruled by a risen king. This king is full of love for you. Nothing comes into your life that doesn't first pass through the hand of God. You don't need to have anxiety about your standing in Christ. You're in him through faith. So not only are you made complete in Christ, but something else has happened to us in Christ. So verses 11 to 12 are kind of confusing a little bit. Um, so he says, you've been circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. So in, in the Old Testament, um, circumcision was, uh, was given to Abraham, then given to the people of Israel through the law in order to be the sign of the Old Covenant. Well, now Paul is saying there's a spiritual circumcision happening when we place our faith in Christ. Follow Paul's logic here. In Christ, we've been circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of flesh, that being our sinfulness, which was done by the circumcision of Christ. And this circumcision is Christ's death. So what this means is that Christ died and was buried. So then we also died and were buried with him. What happens to Christ happens to us. And Paul employs the idea of baptism here to explain it. This is why we don't baptize babies here at Refuge. 
Baptism is a sign of the new covenant. How you come into the new covenant is through faith in Christ. That's why we baptize believers. We died with faith. Excuse me. We died with Jesus by faith. And we were also raised with Jesus by faith. And so Paul is deep diving into this truth to keep these believers and therefore us in our church from being deceived, from being deluded about the gospel. And so if there's anything that comes across your way that seems off, that seems different than this, that smells a little fishy, return back to the truths of the gospel. A friend of mine was trying to sell a, uh, a barn door on Facebook Marketplace for a really good price without hardware or all the hardware. And someone became really interested in it and and said, I'll take it. And he said, in fact, I'm going to send you a check. And it's going to be a little more for what it is because I need someone to, to, to come and pick it up. And so if you could pay them, that'd be great. And so this friend of mine said, uh, yeah, that sounds, that sounds logical, right? I can do that. I'm a good guy. I'm not going to steal anybody's money. So sure enough, this check comes in the mail. It's in like a, a sealed package and it looks like a cashier's check. For like $1,000, for like a $250 uh, purchase. So then something smells a little fishy here. So this friend of mine goes down to the bank and slides the check across to the counter or to the uh, teller and says, I think I'm being scammed. Is this real? And she said, doesn't look good. And I said, oh, yeah, it's me. The friend is me. So I said, (laughs) I said, how do you know? And she said, I can't tell you that, but it doesn't look good. The reason why she knew it was a fake check was because she's seen the real checks over and over and over. The reason counterfeit uh, money handlers uh, can, can, can really fish out fake money is because they handle the real stuff over and over so that when they feel fake money, they know it. Friend, is it like that for you with the gospel? Do you know the gospel so intimately? Are you so intimately tied with Jesus Christ and his gospel from his word that you would know it if a fake one came along? Don't be deluded. The only way to not be deluded is to live by faith in Jesus and then to by faith don't be deluded. That's what Paul's saying. Walk in Jesus. So church, day in and day out, hold up what you think and hear about Jesus to what scripture proclaims about him. Sometimes it's hard. There's so much in me that wants to believe Jesus is different than what the Bible actually says, that he's less radical about forgiveness than what the Bible actually says. But instead of that, lean into a cleared-eyed belief about what Jesus and who Jesus is from the Bible. That'll take that 3D when you take him at his word. Let's keep going. If it's not clear to us already, Paul makes his point even clear in verses 13 to 15. He says, you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. We were dead in our sin. This is the gospel. We were dead in our sin, not sick with sin, not suffering from a malady that we just couldn't 
shake, not even in a coma. We were dead, period. It was over. That's the ball game. But for the Christian, this is the past. God made dead people alive. And notice who is performing the action here. It's God himself. You do not and cannot and could never perform this miracle in yourself or in anybody else. God made dead people alive. God did this work. The forgiveness of sin, all of our trespasses. But how? Verse 14. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The record of debt that we owed because of our sin, he nailed to the cross. There's only one way to be made alive from being dead in your sin is to place your faith in Jesus, the bleeding sacrifice for you that really was pinned to a cross, really was buried, and really rose again bodily. So if you're not a believer here, I can't tell you that how glad I am that you're here. This is a place where you're always welcome, but this message may sound foreign to you. It may sound out of place. It might not make sense. This is, this is a call for you to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. You're dead in your sin. You're guilty before a righteous God. But the sinless Jesus came into this world and lived a life that you and I should have lived and died a death that we deserved and rose to victory for our salvation. Don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. Don't leave here without talking to someone about it. There's elders here. There's members here that know the gospel. Talk to somebody about it. And come, come and put your full trust in Jesus. He took the debt we owed and canceled it. He blotted it out. He set it aside. And the legal demands, your sin has charges. Your sin has real, actual charges against you. They're not trumped up. It's not a kangaroo court. The charges are real, more real than anything else in this life. And they say guilty. But the beautiful thing about the gospel is that God nailed those charges to the cross and removed the record of debt. And in his resurrection, he took any cosmic power. It says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. The church in Colossae was in danger of missing and losing the gospel in their individual lives and in their corporate lives. Delusion is real. The dulling effects of sin are real. So Christ calls us today to live with faith in him and by faith not to be deceived. Your whole existence depends on it. Brothers and sisters, by faith, don't be deceived into anything else.